Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. This is the Steelers Preview Show on WDBE Pittsburgh. Here are your hosts, Mike Prezuda and Matt Williamson. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship 102.5 DVE and SNR. Mike Persuda and Matt Williamson with you until 8 o'clock tonight. We've got another should-be award-winning show lined up for you. Uh, Merrill Hodge will be joining us again, as he always does, and we'll also check in with Jeff Hobson of Bengals.com. I have known uh, Jeff, seems like forever. Uh, he's covered the Bengals for a long, long time. Uh, Matt, just to let you know, we all call Jeff Hobson Butch Hobson because he's a New England guy and he's a Red Sox guy. So okay, if, uh, I can if, live with that. If, if you hear me reference him as Bush, don't get confused. Okay, uh, good to put that news. Out news of the day, and uh, some of it uh, encouraging for the Steelers cornerback Joe Hayden concussion, a full participant in practice today. James Connor quadricep and Kevin Dotson shoulder. Did not practice. Also, Sean Davis held out because of illness. Uh, we saw last week Chris Wormley and Chase Claypool had illnesses that actually were just illnesses and not COVID-19. So hopefully Sean Davis is uh, just feeling a little under the weather. For the Bengals, quarterback Brandon Allen, knee, uh, did not participate in our questions as to whether Allen would be able to go on Monday night against the Steelers Limited. Uh, offensive tackle Bobby Hart with a back. Matt, who do you think is going to be the turnstile du jour if Bobby Hart can't play? Oh, man, there's so many options. <laughs> I mean, this line's really in bad shape. It's going to be ugly. As are the Bengals. <laughs> but uh, Steelers uh, have some issues to sort through uh, on their own. And, uh, Matt, we did a, a Steelers.com show today uh, together this afternoon. And, uh, everybody's searching for answers, a, a lot of theories. I don't know that anybody uh, came up with the right formula, but Randy Fickner, the offensive coordinator, was speaking today as he and defensive coordinator Keith Butler do uh, each Thursday 
via Zoom. And, uh, you know, Randy was asked a lot of questions, and as he always does, he had some uh, expansive, extensive answers. But I think he could boil the whole thing down to catch the ball. Was <laughs> he was he oversimplifying? No. I, I mean, I think there's a lot of layers to this, to be honest with you. And if they were – league average with their catching the ball over these past few weeks. I think many of the problems that we think are huge problems would not be being discussed right now. They would have blown Baltimore out. They probably beat Washington, probably still lose to Buffalo. I mean, and frankly, it's gotten a little better over those stretch with the exception of Deontay Johnson. It hasn't been as much of a group problem, but it's been the guy that gets the most targets targets and the consistent targets that this short controlled passing game would probably be enough to get them, you know, keep moving along and erase some doubts. But when that, but that's also part of the problems too, is because it is a one dimensional offense in that it's a short controlled passing game. When something goes off the rails, you don't have the answer. You don't have the, you know, time to zigging didn't work. It's time to zag. And what can we fall back on? And it showed that they didn't have something. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it reminds me, uh, this is going to be a little bit off, off tangent, but stay with me. Uh, I know you're a bit of a hockey fan, and um, one of the guys I went to Michigan State with was Kelly Miller, who went on to play for the Washington Capitals. And I remember talking to Kelly when uh, he was playing for Jim Schoenfeld in Washington, and uh, we're talking about, you know, schematics and systems and things like okay. that. And I said, I said, uh, how many got how many systems do you guys play? Because in college they played two or three, right? They had they had the zag in case Zig wasn't working. And Kelly said, We have one system. Wow. And I said, What is what does the coach tell you when when it's not working? And the answer was play harder. So, <laughs> I mean, you can't really play harder, but you can you can catch better, I guess. And that that would make this work. I'm of the opinion now. Don't get me wrong. I would love to see them run the ball more effectively. Mm -hmm. I would love to see them more consistently complete passes down the field. But this has been working, and it to me it stopped working when they stopped catching the ball against Baltimore. They didn't do a very good job catching it against Washington. And then it was mostly, as you mentioned, Deontay Johnson, and I'll throw Eric Ebron in there against Buffalo. But, Matt, it, it's been a while if I've ever seen a group succumb to this uh, maybe never uh, as bad as it was there for a couple weeks uh, you know up and down the board guys just not catching the football yeah it, pretty remarkable that it would all hit at once like that too and I mean I, I'm not excusing it away is it lack of concentration with all the weird things that changed in their schedule I mean I think that's being a little too kind you still catch the football you're paid to do it you've done it throughout your career and really this group probably Ebron aside I think has good hands. I mean, something's going on in Deontay's head right now with the yips. Ebron's always been, you know, questionable with with, with the drops. No. But in, in general, I don't think this is a bad group of hands that the Steelers have. And and when they're catching it, I think it's a great group of receivers. Yes. I I, I love the, uh, the varying physical skill sets and the way they can use different guys to do different things. And uh, it's also been curious to me, that uh, spread it out four wide receivers and Ebron thing that we saw uh, for the first time in the second half on November the 1st at Baltimore, that worked great. Then it worked great in the Dallas game and they're getting away from that more and more. I don't know if that's because they're trying to force feed the run 
I don't know if it's because they started dropping the ball, but we haven't seen a lot of that. It, it sounds kind of silly when you're having problems with your passing game to say, well, spread it out and throw it more, but spread it out and throw it more. Go to that no huddle. I mean, that I, I think the only team that has stopped that so far has been the Steelers. Right, and and I don't have Ben's numbers in front of me, but I know they're extremely strong when he's gone no huddle. They're at a Mahomes, Russell Wilson, best in the league type you know clip right now. He's obviously very comfortable doing it. He orchestrates it extremely well. You know, I I think playing with that tempo is certainly advantageous. And when you start spreading people out horizontally, vertically, it does make room for the running game. I mean, there's no way they're going to run to set up the pass at this point. But they can pass to set up or at least help the run a little bit. And to your point about that particular package, one thing that I have that has rubbed me the wrong way the last couple weeks is I don't need to see more than one, two, three snaps of Gerald Hawkins, Watt, McLeod, Samuels. You know, like, if I'm the opposing defense and you're trotting those guys out there while Claypool's on the sidelines, I'm doing cartwheels. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, other than McLeod, I thought that he brings a speed element, kind of a mm -hmm. compliment to Johnson. I think we talked about this uh, on a previous show, but it, it, it's worth repeating. The, the Brian Billick theory that you're – eligibles should resemble a, resemble a basketball team. Right. And yet you're starting five, if you will. Uh, Eric Ebron's the center. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster and Chase Claypool are the power forwards. And uh, Ray Ray McLeod and Deontay Johnson are the guards. And I think they all uh, fit in nicely uh, as a fivesome. Now, James Washington has certainly come on uh, as a playmaker. Uh, you know, he, he can catch short and run long and, and take it to the end zone. Uh, if you want to put him in there instead of McLeod, I'm fine with that. But uh, the Claypool thing, uh, puzzling and concerning. The the snaps were actually up a little bit last game. But to hear Mike Tomlin say that they were kind of hedging against the rookie wall in advance and sort of limiting his snaps to make sure he doesn't hit that rookie wall. I mean, this guy's a playmaker for him. He's got 10 touchdowns. They, they need to get him the ball way more than he's gotten at the last couple, three games. I can't argue that whatsoever. But I do believe rookie walls are real. I mean, I absolutely do. And this year is a little different than ever. I, I've been trying to pay attention around the league, you know, at other receivers that have played a lot of snaps. So they starting to slow down. Rookies, I mean. And I think one of the things working against Claypool to no fault of his own is when you build that basketball team, him and Washington play the same position. You know, I mean, they're, yes. they're, they're both the shooting guard or the small forward or whatever, however you want to classify Small forward, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, they're the three guy. So it's hard. It, it almost, it doesn't have to be exclusively, but sometimes it's going to be one or the other situation. There's only five skill guys you can put out there. Yeah, and, and Claypool's got to earn his snaps too. I mean, it's not just what he's done previously. It's what you're doing now. A couple plays in that Buffalo game really disturbed me. Uh, there was a deep ball down the right sideline where I thought he stopped running too soon and mistimed it, and that was incomplete. But the first third down of the game, that uh, really jumped out at me. Uh, he's getting press coverage from Tredavious White, and he got knocked on his backside yeah. right at the snap. I mean, how does that happen when you're when you're his size? Tredavious White's a great player, and but that's not okay. And yeah, it's not my, that good. I mean, <laughs> right, right. He's not 50 pounds heavier than he did good, you know. And what's interesting to me is uh, Dale and a lot of our listeners gave me a hard time jokingly that 
Boy, when the Steelers took Claypool Williamson, all you ever talked about was his special teams contributions at Notre Dame. But where I was going with that is to be a great special teamer at a program like Notre Dame, you got to be a high effort player and you got to be tough and you got to be willing to put in the, the work to do the nitty gritty Heinz Ward type things uh, of wide receiver play. And Claypool's been great. And the one thing we didn't mention is he draws a lot of deep pass interference calls, too, that don't show up in yes. the scoreboard. I mean, they can't ignore that. But I thought he'd be a little more physical laying people out on wham blocks and things like that. Yeah, and uh, it, it's uh, it's funny you mentioned uh, when you, you and Dale Lawley, of course, doing the drive uh, right, right. On, on SNR every day. Um, I didn't think he would be as effective as he was as quickly as he was. You know, I thought all the rookies were up against it because of the circumstances, but uh, I, I guess, you know, I, I've probably seen the rookie wall happen enough that I should believe in it, but it, it, it feels to me like it's something I shouldn't believe in. And I, I thought by now he was that kind of special guy that mm-hmm. was just going to keep, keep having a great year. And he's really, he's fallen off and the offense has fallen off. And that's another factor. Yeah. And I didn't hear the Tomlin quotes that you referenced, but I could see where, you would want Washington snaps to go up and somebody has to suffer in that regard. And if it's, Hey, we think the wall is coming, but we can postpone it till weeks down the road, kick that can down. I can understand it, but I think where you're going with it. And I remember you saying oftentimes when we'd get together and talk after you know a, a camp practice, this guy's just special and has to be out there and does rare things. Rare skill set. Yeah. Uh, competitive uh you know Notre Dame got turned on to him by how hard he played basketball in high school he's got to find a little more of that and that kind of leads me to the next point that I wanted to make in our opening segment and that is all the talk from Mike Tomlin and then everyone else uh, seemingly in line physicality weren't physical enough in Buffalo you know Claypool getting knocked on his butts one example uh both lines are another example Minka Fitzpatrick not tackling is another example Uh, how does a team uh, with with the DNA of the Pittsburgh Steelers gets soft. And you're hearing it by national people that, you know, have no skin in the game that I respect, you know, saying, boy, this offense is softer than I remember. And I can't argue that. I, I mean, how do you fix it? Well, you've been around the team a lot. It sure seems like you're hearing the same message from head coach, coordinator, quarterback. You know, every time one of you guys sticks a Zoom microphone in these guys' face, you hear the word, we got to get more physical. And there's, you know, over the years, you hear that several times a year where it's not an accident that the same words are coming out of a lot of different well-respected mouths. Um, A big thing, I think, and again, I don't mean to give this team a pass for what the schedule and COVID and three games in 12 days and all that stuff has dealt them. But I really think a key to being more physical is being better rested, you know, to have the nice long week. So you have a little more juice in your legs. You come off the ball a little bit lower with better pad level. You're a little bit better knee bender. You wrap when you, you know, where you would have just thrown a shoulder in those type of things. I expect that I would be blown away if we don't see that Monday, especially considering the opponent. Yeah, it's, I, I think it's a point worth making and not maybe so much the three games in 12 days thing on its own, but everything that went into that Baltimore game, how many times that got moved around and then the, the, the subsequent game against Washington got moved around. It wasn't a normal three games in 12 days type of deal. And, you know, I, I think everybody's getting a little stressed. Uh, 
at this point. I know I am. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. this thing isn't going away, and we're all doing things drastically differently than we're used to doing them. And, uh, you know, there's frustration everywhere. Uh, but they got to shake it off because uh, I think they still have an opportunity. I still think they have a pretty good football team. But I thought, Matt, that uh, I would see much more in Buffalo. Not necessarily that they were going to win that game, but I thought they would have played better than they did. Yeah, and I, I'm not going to keep I – mean, I promise I won't keep bringing up the fatigue and the schedule, but I really think that the massive discrepancy these past two weeks against you know good teams – Buffalo's a very good team – from first half to second half. I mean, the second half of the Washington game belonged to the football team. The second half of it the did. Buffalo game belonged to the Bills. And I don't think the football team's bad, by the way. I don't either. And with, they are physical that, and they're tough at the line of scrimmage. With Alex Smith, the quarterback, a guy that knows what he's doing, I think that is a that is a formidable outfit. Yeah, but I, I don't think that losing the second half as bad as they have the past two weeks is is fluky. I think there's something to deal with the, the stamina, the, the, the schedule they've dealt with. And maybe that's wishful thinking by me, but that's been a lot for them to go through. No, I think anything's plausible at this point. Uh, these are some weird things uh, in an unprecedented season, and I don't know that there is a, a clear answer or, or solution other than catch the ball. I'd that like would to help. See them catch the ball and then see what falls into place after that. Maybe go four for ten on third down instead of one for ten. <laughs> As for the catch the Maybe, ball thing, I mean, I'm not super yeah. worried about that. Are you? Well, yeah. I mean, the running game worries me more about than their the ability to catch the ball. And you know what I mean? Seth, I've kind of given up on the running game, but I, I'd like <laughs> yeah. to see them catch it again. I, I I guess if you can drop it two or three games in a row, you can keep on doing it. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. A lot more to get to tonight before we get out of here, so keep it right here. When we come back, we will be joined by the aforementioned Jeff Butch Hobson of Bengals.com. You'll, uh, you'll listen for the accent, and you'll stay for the insight. With Matt Williamson, I'm Mike Pursuta. We are talking Steelers-Bengals until 8 o'clock tonight right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Back to the Steelers preview show on DVE. Welcome back. Mike Pursuta and Matt Williamson with you until 8 o'clock tonight as we get you ready for the Steelers and the Bengals coming up Monday night at Paul Brown Stadium in Cincinnati. If this was a normal year, uh, the current schedule would mean that I would be spending Sunday night at a place called O'Malley's in the Alley in Cincinnati, <laughs> one of the great uh, watering holes in the National Football League. But uh, I'm not traveling anymore, so that is out. But uh, maybe our next guest can uh, brighten my spirits, Jeff Butch Hobson of Bengals.com. Butch, before we break the game down, uh, has O'Malley's survived the pandemic? Mike, I wouldn't know. I've been on an island. I've. Uh... I've uh, uh, the only per- the only people I've seen are Ginger Marianne, the uh, the skipper, and uh, <laughs> I think I saw Mr. Howell. Well, I'm guessing you would have heard if it closed, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take that as a yes. It's still open. And no, I think it. Is. I think pretty much. I think pretty much everything is. Uh, I don't think. I don't think anything is uh, stopped. You know what I mean. Well, let's talk about what stopped uh, in Cincinnati, and that is the momentum of the Bengals. Man, I saw uh, the club early in the year a couple of times, and particularly the Tennessee game. Uh, Joe Burrow was in the process of taking the league 
by storm. Obviously, you lose that guy, and he's not the only one that's on IR. But uh, that, in retrospect, a deal-breaker, Butch, that uh, this team just wasn't going to continue without him? Yeah, well, Mike, there, uh, there's no question. The offense has stopped. I mean, if you look at their points uh, since Burrow's gone down. But, it's you know, yeah, but, I mean, clearly when you lose your quarterback. But, I mean, it's been more than that. Uh, they haven't had Joe Mixon, their two-time 1,000-yard rusher. Uh, and their offensive line, it very well could roll out their eight straight different offensive line combinations. So throw that stuff into the mix with uh, Burrow being out, and it's, uh, it's been a struggle to score. You know, so many things have gone against this team, but looking over Zach Taylor's short tenure here, two years, I looked at that team and thought they're definitely not the worst team in the league last year, even though they got Burrow. They lost an awful lot of close games. And now, you know, things have hit the fan. And I know that the Bengals... All I can tell you, all I can tell you is that 142 on November 22nd, they were a hot team. They were on the rise. People were buzzing about them. And 144, Burrow goes down, and all of a sudden, they're the Cleveland Browns of, uh, you know, three years ago. I hear what you're you saying. Know, I, but, but he's won under 17% of his games as the Bengals head coach. That's pretty rough. Well, I understand that, but I'm just telling you what people were saying. Uh-huh. And you might have been one of them last month. You know, so, so, is it, so what's changed? The kid's going to come back, right? So, you know, I mean, I, I just don't know. What, what, what bothers me is how all of a sudden, hey, they're an up-and-coming team. They're a young, up-and-coming team. He's doing a good job of the offense. The kid gets hurt, and all of a sudden, you know, it, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, the kid's hurt. Do you blow it up? I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know. But I just don't think I – I think it's a little bit unfair. Uh, you know, one injury and the whole thing is uh, – goes uh goes from white to black or black to white or whatever i i just don't i don't get it to your point i do think that this burrow injury actually makes him look better you know kind of like dak prescott in dallas like very few rookie quarterbacks elevate those around them you know some of them look really good their rookie year but few of them make people better and i think burrow absolutely proved that he is that guy already oh yeah i mean i think you know i mean I, I, and i yeah i mean i agree with you and I think if that, the one question that Zach has to answer is, and this was an, and this was a question before Burrow got hurt, was you got to protect him. You know, you got to hand it off. You got to pass. You know, you got to you got to you know, you got to run the ball to protect him. That's that's the issue I think that he's going to have to deal with next year because he seems pretty adamant. He's putting his foot in the ground that this is a pass-first team, and you know, uh, we'll see if that works in the AFC North with, uh, you know. Uh, Pittsburgh and Baltimore are always one two when it comes to quarterback hits. Yeah, there's a lot of that pass first thing going around. I don't know if you've seen the Steelers <laughs> play lately. Yeah, <laughs> but let's get yeah. let's stay with let's stay with quarterback in Cincinnati. Uh, do you think Brandon Allen is a go this week, or is it wait and see? I think it's wait and see, uh, Mike. Uh, I think now you know uh, the uh, just not a lot of NFL starts uh, floating around there. You know. Uh, Brandon's only started six of them. Ryan Finley, one of his three starts, came and came against the Steelers. Uh, and uh, so, you know, Kevin Hogan's on the practice squad. He's got one NFL start. So uh, they've all got as many starts as Burrow does. 
is Jesse Bates their best defensive player? I, I think a lot of people around here and around the the nation don't realize he is a very, very good safety and somebody to fear. Yeah, I agree. I think you're exactly right. I getting a lot of Pro Bowl buzz. He's been their best defensive player. He's one of he's been one of the only ones that have uh, you know still standing because uh, that that side of the ball got wrapped too. You got to remember now, back in March, they spent about 125 million dollars to overhaul that defense. You know, and uh, Trey Wayne's never got on the field, and DJ Reader played five games. So uh, that that's been a work in progress as well. So bases, uh, you're right. But also the guy next to him, Vaughn Bell, another guy they picked up in three years, $18 million. Vaughn Bell has put up numbers. Vaughn Bell has already has a career-high uh, 96 tackles. He's tied for his career-high in passing defense. He's got two fumble recoveries. That's the most he's ever had. So, you know, Bell and Bates have been pretty formidable in the middle of the field. I, I think that's something they believe they can build on there. Butch, I mentioned uh, I saw the Bengals play. Tennessee before that. By the way, first I Pittsburgh apologize game. for getting a little hot there about Burrow. Sorry about that. I didn't mean to get <laughs> That's it. That's all right. good. So, we're all uh, we're all feeling it a little bit. Uh, I, I was really impressed with the Bengals in that Tennessee game before they played the Steelers the first time, and then against Dallas, I, I don't know that I've ever seen a team fumble the first three times it gets the ball. I, uh, what was the reaction to that? Is that one of those things you just say, well, it's it's twenty twenty, and this is the kind of stuff that's happening? I mean, that's just unheard of, isn't it? Yeah, it's unbelievable, especially when the first guy that fumbled it has the longest uh, streak in the league without fumbling. I mean, that's the first time Gio, Giovanni Bernard fumbled since his rookie year, so start with that. And then, I, yeah, Mike, I'm, I'm right with you. I don't ever uh, remember seeing that happen to, to start a game. Uh, this is how old I am. The last time the, that happened to the Bengals, three straight turnovers in a game, was against the Patriots in 1988, and I was covering the Patriots. That's how old that was. That's how long ago that's happened. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, and how do you come back from that? I mean, uh, there was an amazing, uh, you know, the numbers. I mean, they moved the ball. I mean, Brandon Allen threw for, uh, you know, I mean, he was he had a passer rating for the whole game. He had a passer rating in 99. They had the ball 10 more minutes than the Cowboys. They had the ball, uh, they had 40 more yards. They had, they they completed, uh, they, they converted 56% of their, Third downs, and they got beat by twenty. And they got beat by twenty-three. So, that'd be a math problem for. Uh, that's, that's an amazing thing. I mean, that's, you just don't recover from. You know, you just you know. We try not Steelers, to do math you know, on this program. No math. Know. But the Steelers feast on that stuff. I mean, you know, they they they. What the Steelers are great at, and I think this is a reflection of Tomlin, is they just if you make a mistake, they kill you. They go. They they smell blood. They know right where your jugular is, and boom, they they knock you dead if if you make a mistake. They don't wait around. You know they don't wait around a couple quarters after you made a mistake. You make a turnover, and I and, and it's just not turnovers. It's like if you're not in the right spot where you're supposed to be on defense, you know they'll they'll uh, they'll go eight for eight on a drive. You know they just don't. They just they just kill your mistakes. You know that's why they're. That's why they've been so good on this Tomlin, I think. Yeah, that's good stuff there. But you you mentioned their offseason spending, and that kind of caught a lot of us by surprise. Do you think that's something that's here to stay, you know, that they're going to go outside the organization, maybe add another starter or two in free agency this year? And then two of the really best Bengals of all time, really. I mean, two of them that are near the top of the list, A.J. Green and Geno Atkins. Do you think their, their days in Cincinnati are over? 
I mean, I, I say what I mean. I hope we got money left. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, we spent. You know, you throw in Mixon's extension, two hundred million dollars committed. You know, committed to future years. How about that? I don't want to hear about Mike Brown being cheap anymore. The most, the, uh, uh, and I was telling, I told Joe Saki this too. It, 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 in the most uh, uh, unknown, the most uncertain economic, you know, climate of his lifetime. And he spent two, and he committed two hundred million dollars for future years, and nobody knows what the future is going to look like, particularly the cap. So yeah, I think you know it's interesting you say Green and Atkins. To me, they're two gold jacket candidates. Certainly, Gino. You know, AJ's going to have to have a little run here, but those are to me, Gino's a, a no-brainer first ballot Hall of Famer. If AJ can string together another couple of years, he's you know he, he he's a guy that ought to be you know uh, go to Canton. Maybe not on the first ballot, but later. Um, you know, whether they, you know, I think everybody's future at this point, let's face it. I don't, you know, everybody wants to know, what are they going to do next year? What are they going to do next year? Hey, what are we going to do tomorrow? You know, what's tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. let's, get there. let's get there, you know? I mean, I, I appreciate the questions about Atkins and Green, but, uh, you know, uh, I'd like to be able to emerge and get gas. You know, that's what uh, I think. And I think we're probably, the Bengals are at that sense, uh, I think the Bengals are in that sense, too. They're just trying to get through the season. They're trying to regroup. They're trying to see what the topography looks like. And uh, they'll come at it, you know. And that was, uh, I would imagine, again, they would have to, you know, there's, 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 uh, there's holes, you know, obviously. They, they, uh, they're going to have to look at both lines. And they got to look at wide receiver. You know, you get Tyler Boyd. You know, you know you get Tyler Boyd and he, he, he can come back. We love Tyler Boyd, Pittsburgh guy, terrific player. Uh, how about this? This is what I might say. Everybody think about Tyler Boyd. Is he uh, he's flirting with his third straight 1,000 yard season? In both of them, he's had to deal with a backup quarterback, and if he does it again, it'll be his third year in a row. He's had to work with a backup uh, quarterback at least uh, for three for three games during the season. So you know, Boyd and T. Higgins are going to be around for a while, but Will AJ and uh, you know John Ross is up in the air. You know, I think I think Tyler and uh, T are the only guys under contract, so. You know they're going to have to do some work there at the, at receiver. But the good thing about it is they get you start with Burrow and Mixon. You circle with those guys. You know two pretty good. Uh, you know those are two two franchise guys for you. And then uh, you know then you hope you get your people back on defense. Reader and Waynes and the young linebackers look pretty good. But they you know they got to look at you know corner. They have to uh, they're going to have to do some work at the corner a little bit. So. Yeah, but will, will they spend the money? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you know, I think they'll, I think they'll spend money. But uh, you know, they did this year, and 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 this is you know, the disaster happened. Two guys, two of the guys get hurt, mm-hmm. and Bell has panned out. And I think if you, you know, you know, for the longest time they felt like you know, yeah, it's great to sign these free agents, but you know, when you put injury and stuff into it, how many pan out and give you all those years? So. Uh, but I think Reader and Wayne, that's a good place to start on defense for him next year. So, you know, you can already start talking about that offseason narrative. But, uh, you know, looks like they're going to have a pretty high draft pick, too. And I think they had a pretty successful uh, draft this last year. If they can put another one together like that, uh, you know, a long way. with Burrow, I think, I think, you know, with Burrow, I think it's, uh, you know, the traffic jam in the ASC North, fellas, isn't it? Getting that way. You know, Butch, you mentioned uh, Tyler Boyd a moment ago. You won't care about this, but people listening to this program might. There was a moment in that Dallas game where Tyler Boyd 
who's from Clareton, Pennsylvania, was being covered on an underneath route by Sean Lee, who's from Upper St. Clair, Pennsylvania. And watching from the one sideline was Mike McCarthy from Greenfield, Pennsylvania. I started looking around for Marvin Lewis. That would have made it four of a kind. <laughs> but uh, Marvin's not there yeah. anymore. But I got I got a kick out of that. Um, I wanted to ask you about Allen. Uh, third start, let's assume he plays again. He looked to me like a guy who wasn't tentative and didn't think he couldn't do it. Uh, how has he come along since he's been thrown into this gig here? I mean, I think that's a good call, uh, Mike. Uh, you know, here's the thing. Here's the guy. He was their COVID quarter. He was the quarantine quarterback, you know, so he wasn't practicing with everybody. He was like, he's zooming. You know, they kept him away so that they wouldn't have this situation like Denver. You know, they kept him away from everybody, which is really smart. Thing was, he didn't, you know, he, he didn't throw until, uh, uh, he didn't throw to A.J. Green and Boyd and T. Higgins until, like, the week that he had to, you know. So, the time, you know, I think, you know, the, the timing has not been good, but that's for obvious reasons, you know. And uh, But, yeah, I mean, that's why they brought him here. They brought him here because he was with Zach in with the Rams, ran that offense, went to Denver, similar-style offense. They brought him in here, and that's, and that's what he's done. And I think you're exactly right against Dallas. That's what he did. He was a spring quarterback, and he was – Doing pretty well. He got after it. He, he played an aggressive game. I mean, yeah, I mean, he completed 75% of his passes. There was nothing deep. I mean, he wasn't Unitas, but, you know, he was, uh, you know, if they didn't fumble the first three times they had it, they might have, you know, he might, you know, he would have got a win from Which is Coach, last thing, last thing for you. Uh, you are on the Hall of Fame Board of Selectors, correct? I am, sir. I'm sure you're probably just wondering wa- how the hell that happened. But that's <laughs> oh, no. I, I just <laughs> want you to know that you are the fifth member of that illustrious panel that has been on this program this year, following in the footsteps of the great Jeff Legwald, the great John McClain, the great Goose Goslin, the great Vic Carucci, and now Butch Hobson. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Well, it sounds like one of those Sesame Street, who does not belong? But uh, <laughs> again, I want, again, I want to apologize to your partner. Sorry about that. Oh, it's all good. About the post. Didn't mean to jump on you about the Parnell's thing there, but uh, you know it's kind of it's kind of been bugging me a little bit, you know. So uh, you, a, you hide uh, it well. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, hey, you know, hey, I'm from Boston, you know. So you know, we lead with our, uh, you know, I guess we lead with our uh, height. So, but uh, I appreciate. Butch, that's why we love you, man. I'm telling you, I always love playing. You know, I mean, everything about the Steelers. Top class football, right from the right from the right from the way they play, how they win, and the people who cover them. They, you know, they get the the people who cover them are the best around too. So I always enjoy it. It's always a great week. Pandemic Appreciate that, Butch. If I ever get back to Cincinnati, I'm dragging you to O'Malley's. That sounds good. That sounds good, Mike. I'll be there and bring your partner with you. I I feel like I owe him a beer now. <laughs> We're yeah. all good, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Butch. We'll see you down the road. That's uh, Jeff Hobson. Of Bengals.com, man, he is uh, that guy is a joy to be around. He uh, he is never shy on opinions and emotion and uh, passion for the game of football. And uh, Matt, you got a little introduction to that firsthand, so yeah, I'm cool with it. I mean, I got no problem with Joe Burrow. <laughs> we got another guy who likes to get passionate about the game of football coming up. That would be Merrill Hodge. He's coming on the other side of the break, so keep it here uh, with Matt Williamson. I'm Mike Persuda. You are listening to Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. 
Back to the Steelers Preview Show on DVE. Welcome back to Steelers Preview. Mike Prasuda and Matt Williamson with you until 8 o'clock tonight as we get you ready for Monday night's Steelers at the Bengals, the rematch at Paul Brown Stadium. And uh, time now to welcome our third member of the preview crew. That would be uh, the uh, incomparable Merrill Hodge, another guy who brings it with passion and emotion. And Merrill, uh, there is a lot to talk about regarding the Steelers, not so much regarding the Bengals now that Joe Burrow is hurt, but I I wanted to start with the offense and uh, beat the dead horse that is the running game initially. I wanted to talk about pass protection. Ben Roethlisberger is not getting sacked, but I'm of the opinion that he's throwing it in 2.1 seconds because he knows if he keeps it for 2.2, he's going to get popped. What do, you, what do you think of what's going on up front? Well, listen, they they haven't been stellar there. That, 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 that's, that's a fact. Um, you know, one thing that has actually been a problem all year um, is actually their running backs. You know, the third down back, you know, oftentimes is always ignored. Um and most people don't maybe even realize why that guy is back there. That guy becomes a, a real weapon, not just in ways to get him out of, out of the backfield and throw the football to him and create matchups with him. But when he does block, you know, it's not just his ability to block his guy, but maybe compensate when the offensive line make a, the offensive line makes a mistake, which can happen. These guys have traffic in their face, and you know even though they're trained well and, you know, you hope that doesn't happen. It does at times. And, and actually they've, they've all struggled. All of them have struggled. Um, you know, I mean, they're, they're getting, they get against the bills. They got run over by DBs. It isn't like they got run over by linebackers. I mean, they were getting derailed by defensive backs that were coming um, from the second level. So um, oftentimes the offensive line gets blamed for everything. And it's not always just them. It's just like the running game, you know, the, the Steelers running game has struggled um, mightily, and a lot of it is their perimeter players. You know, their you know, tight end, especially Eric Ebron, has just gotten absolutely destroyed. Or, you know, he's missed assignments. And um, getting destroyed is one thing. Missing an assignment, that is absolutely unacceptable. You know, you got to know who you're going to block, and you got to be pay attention to that. Um, and you at least got to be a willing participant and fight for it. Um, so when you make a mental error, that's just – that's um, – <clears throat> At that level, that is, it's unacceptable. But um, they they have had problems protecting, and I think that might be. Well, I shouldn't say might. It's a, probably a part of why they haven't been very explosive. But you know what's interesting? Um, and I wish you guys could watch tape with me because if you to watch the Buffalo Bills tape, and then we put in the and let's just say we had just white jerseys on or black jerseys, just I mean blank blank. You didn't know numbers. You didn't see emblems. And then I put week 10 in against the Cincinnati Bengals. You would say that's not the same team. Hmm. You, you said it doesn't even look close. Like they were explosive. They moved people off the line of scrimmage. They had gaping holes. They gashed them and everything. Now, listen, I also understand the Buffalo Bills defense is better than the Cincinnati Bengals. I get that. But like, there was no explosive element against Buffalo. You know, they just they, they created no element of that. And this offense went from there was a point in the season where I thought, okay, they, they're not as good as they can be. If they get as good as I think they can be, then they got Look a chance out. to be the best team. And now all the phases that they had has been condensed into one. They, they're a, 
a short to intermediate passing attack, that's it. See, now when you go back, that's why when you talk about how many phases do you have to your team that you can rely on and go to and win with, it just helps sustain you as a team. And when you lose those things, it's just harder and harder to win consistently in the NFL. And they went from their running game is really uh, irrelevant. Their passing game is not scary. Um, and it's a very condensed. Um, so they got to bring an explosive element to it and a physical element to it. And you got about three weeks to get that done. So Merrill, do you look at it as kind of a glass half full thing where we've seen these guys be explosive off the ball and right. physical and well coached and nasty and all that stuff? Or, or do you look at it and say, maybe that, that glass isn't half full. It's totally empty at this point. And, uh, do you see it more in the second half of games? I mean, the Bills in Washington really owned the second half the last two weeks. Well, I would say this. What's what's unfortunate, you know, it's, it's a great question because this is something what I'm about to talk about now really is out of people's control. Mm-hmm. You know, getting hurt in the course of a season, you know, no, nobody wants to get, have injuries, although everybody does experience them. Look at the Buffalo Bills. When you watch them week one, two, and three, their linebacking group didn't – the same – the group that played one, two, and three was not there last week. Okay? They're deep, so they were devastated injury-wise, defensively. They've gradually gotten healthier and better. And um, they got it obviously show on Sunday. You look at the Steelers. I tell you, you know, I, I can't remember. Maybe it was DBE. Um, Mike, we were talking about it. Um or a Steelers show we were doing, but when I t- plugged the tape in of the Sunday night game, the Steelers defense looked completely different. Now, the one thing that stood out was like they have a lot of speed there, but like every number, I was like, who's that? Who's that? Who's that? It's the wrong time to have injuries, yeah. you know, and they've got them on both sides of the ball. You know, you got them in the trenches, which I'm, I'm just going to go to this real quick. At the end of every week, we used to do a Super Bowl matchup uh, wrap-up show on the NFL matchup show every year. And the one thing that always stood out in 22 years of doing that show, the one thing that stood out every Super Bowl was how great the offensive line was. Now, they never got an award. Nobody ever talked about them. The MVP went to the quarterback, you know, or somebody else on the perimeter. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Or the defensive line, the combination of those things won it. Um, Like, if you look last year, the MVP of that Super Bowl is number 95 for the Kansas City Chiefs. Period. End of story until Patrick Mahomes makes that one throw. Then he gets the MVP. If you looked at that Super Bowl, 95 created more plays and changed the game more in the course of that 60 minutes than Patrick Mahomes did with his one throw. In fact, his, his one play allowed Patrick Mahomes to make that one play. Without it, it doesn't happen and the Chiefs don't win. And nobody knows about that. I mean, that's the intimacy that you get when you watch tape. So that being said, like the Steelers are really wounded there. You know, they're wounded with their offensive line. You got your your you got linebackers that, aside from Watt, everybody is you know was backing up at one time. And shoot, you're three deep when you look at Spillane. You know, Bush and Spillane's uh, position, and that's just hard to overcome. Um, and it's the wrong time to have to overcome it is what I'm really trying to get at because you're now in December and this is when you really want to be playing your best football. 
but you do have three weeks. It isn't like they're going into the playoffs tomorrow. You have some time. Um, and so now this is really the, the skill of coaching. You know, what do you have? How can you gear a plan around the strength of what you have? And will that be good enough? I mean, I can't answer that. We'll have to see how the next three weeks go. But um, more likely, that it's a daunting task. Sure. Merrill, I wanted to get back to the running backs blitz pickup for a second because James Conner's been pretty good at that uh, when he's been healthy and when he's been right. I can even remember in training camp a year ago, he was teaching Benny Snell how to do it right before the backs on backers drill. And all of a sudden, he's yeah. real average at best. And Samuels, and you mentioned they're getting ragdolled around. They're not going to do backs on backers in practice tomorrow, I wouldn't suspect. So how do you how do you fix how do you fix physical in the day and age when the amount of times you can practice in pads is limited and you're banged right. up already and you're worried about COVID and all that stuff? Uh, what what is that well, coaching move that uh, you referenced? Well, I, I think the first thing that you really got to do is is you almost have to, and this does not require you know that those drills you're talking about, Mike, but really identifying making sure we identify who we're playing and where they can come from. And then where do we want to be in the best position to take them on? I mean, like if you, the back is, I'm at the depth of the quarterback. That is not why I want where I want to meet my opponent. I do not want to meet him there. I want to cut that cushion down the best I can. So once we understand who we're responsible for and we realize he's coming, I got to meet him at the point of attack. I want to cut that cushion down. A, it helps me neutralize him, and it gives me more distance in case, you know, I start losing that battle for him to hit the quarterback. And that's, that's kind of what happened last week. All the backs were just, you know, even James Conner, he just he slid across. He had the right guy, but he's he's two feet from Ben. And DB just ran right through him and, you know, threw him into Ben. So we can we can correct that just by um, those type of drills. Let's get, get out to the perimeter. Go get him. You know, once you realize and you've identified him, what you did, go get him. Go get him. Let's create some cushion and attack him that way. Um, so you can go through that process because all the guys will fight. I mean, I've not seen any of them not, I mean, not being a willing participant, which has been number, the most the key ingredient to being successful at that. So they all want to do that. Well, it's just now how can we maybe add some things that will help them win that and not get our quarterback hit? Merrill, you mentioned the condensed passing game, and I think that's dead on in a great way of, of, of phrasing it. It's all in the short zones, and it worked very, very well for much of the year. But it's also brought a lot of defenders close to the line of scrimmage, which then makes running the ball even harder. I feel like they have to throw them out of crowding the line of scrimmage by attacking the, the intermediate zones as well as deep shots, but not just deep shots down the sideline. The deep middle is not a, a place that they throw the football. Yeah, well, I'll tell you this one play. You know, there was two plays actually against Cincinnati. Um, we did it for uh, Steeler.com or um, with the Steeler stuff this week. They did one thing outside the perimeter. And that, that's because they're vulnerable. And I, sometimes you got to attack where they're weak at, too, you know, or where they've been vulnerable. And Cincinnati has been, uh, to this point, they've been had issues on the perimeter. So you might as well take advantage of that. Um, they created a skinny post. You know, the touchdown they threw against Buffalo, that's actually been one of their best plays. And a variety of players have done that. You know, and I know people have talked about, you know, Ben's arm strength. I'm going to just tell you this. That if there's ever a an example of arm strength, a skinny post is one of them, you know, or a deep comeback is another. 
And he threw the touchdown there. He threw a big, like, 24-yard completion to Eric Ebron against Cincinnati like that. They created that matchup. And that's actually one of those um, um, targeted throws in the middle of the field. Now, you got to get him in the right coverage. Like, when you, in the bright coverage, if you're going to run a skinny post, it's cover three. Like, if anybody gets into cover three um, and you your quarterback throws it right and your receiver runs it right, they cannot break, they cannot defend it. They can only hope to tackle you after you complete it, but they are going to complete it. Um, and Cincinnati plays a lot of cover three at times. And I'm sure that's why they, they created that matchup. So hopefully you see that in this game where they get some of those explosive plays. And I mentioned, too, Deontay Johnson was on, on the other end of the big play on the perimeter. Now it would be nice to see get him create that matchup again, get him a big play because two things – are accomplished there. First of all, we have some explosiveness into your offense, and you've developed some or instilled some confidence in a kid who's, you know, struggling with that right now. And, you know, that would do wonders for the Steelers' offense right now uh, if they could do those things. But I agree with you, you know, attacking in the middle of the field, you know, is, is really a subject from team to team. You know, what, what kind of coverage do they run? Um, where are they most vulnerable, and what kind? Of, how how can we create the best matchup? And Cincinnati gave, gave that to them last week or last time. They do contest, consistently play like that, so this might be a game where they do that. Mel, appreciate it as always. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. And uh, boy, if we're not talking about a win over Cincinnati, we have a real problem. <laughs> yeah, look, Mike, I'm not available if they don't win. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I get you. That's a good point. Love you guys. <laughs> Merrill uh, Hodge. Uh, Matt, let's just get to that for uh, a quick second here. We got about two minutes left. Uh, I thought they would bounce back against Buffalo. They better bounce back against Cincinnati, right? I mean, the Bengals right now are off the charts bad because they're banged up and a whole bunch of reasons. The Steelers uh, cannot come back from Ohio with another loss. I 100% agree. I mean, this is. Right there with the Jets as the worst football team in the league. I think it's the worst offense in the league. I don't know that this offense can generate double-digit points against the Steelers' defense. It should get Hayden and Vince Williams back, missing two key pieces on that side of the ball. But overall, you're getting a little healthier than you were. Uh, I, I think the, the Steelers dominate this one and kind of have a, a message to send. Yeah, I think it's, you know, 13-3, 13-3 if they have a bad game. Right. Um, and if they don't, maybe they uh, they win it going away. That's uh, that's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, I want to thank uh, Merrill, as always. I want to thank our guest, Butch Hobson from Bengals.com. Uh, thank you to Tom behind the glass for keeping us uh, up and running. And I want to thank you for finding us again tonight on Steelers Preview. Hope uh, everyone is uh, getting holiday season ready. And uh, we'll uh, hope to talk to you next week after uh, the Steelers play the Cincinnati Bengals and hopefully beat the Cincinnati Bengals. And then uh, we'll be getting ready for the Indianapolis Colts. For Matt Williamson, I'm Mike Persuda. You have been listening to Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Good night, everyone.